So I was like, who is licking this woman's head? <laughs> Welcome, Angela, to the show. I always refer to her as advisor to the stars in all things franchising. If you're in the franchising industry, you know Angela and you know all that she's done. So it's just a, a huge pleasure to have her with us today, talk about some of the things that we're going through right now. And welcome, as always, Jackie and Leanne for joining us each and every week as we peel apart the layers of opening this first cat hotel in, uh, in the Virginia market. So thank you, everyone, for coming on board today. I'm so excited to be here with you guys. Thanks for having me. This is a good time to reconnect with you and get you on here because some of this early stage stuff that we're pushing through right now is right up your alley. I know that you work in your business with early stage franchisors, even small businesses looking at the prospect of becoming a franchisor. And so that's really kind of where we are. I mean, we're a little past that, obviously, but we're still very early stage. So we're just looking forward to your insights today and any thoughts and strategies that, that will help us kind of take the next few steps. So cool. good for you two for doing this, all of you, by the way, this is so cool, so innovative. And that's one thing Chris has never short on is, you know, innovative ideas. So I, I think this is so neat and it's going to be so valuable for people that are going along this journey for years to come because this stuff doesn't really change a whole lot in franchising. Right? Absolutely. So if it doesn't change very much, then can you just give us all the answers right now? <laughs> <laughs> well, how long do you have? <laughs> how long is this, this episode? <laughs> So one thing that we wanted to kick off with today is talking a little bit about our schedule for building and launching this first location and kind of just take you, Angela, through some of these steps. Some of them are very basic. It's just small business, kind of 101. But then where we get into whether it's site selection or lease negotiations, the build out part and starting to put together all of the layers and, and tying into that the marketing aspect because we need to be prepared to launch a grand opening marketing campaign and just some strategies for weaving all of that in and obviously budgets are a part of that and strategy and creativity and so if you wouldn't mind just going along with us I'll, i'm going to step through our various weeks of scheduling here and uh, just kind of get your your thoughts as we go along yeah, that sounds great. What's, uh, what's going through my mind is, you know, when I was in my early or yeah, early 20s, this is what I did. I helped franchisees go from initial signing to getting open, getting their store open. So it, this is like, I mean, we do it now with the clients, but getting really granular and flashing back. So this is great. So when you were doing that type of work, that was for a brand up in Canada, correct? And yeah. that was... I mean, that was across the country. I mean, that was pretty big time when you were cranking those units out, correct? Yeah. So I was in that role in, uh, I guess, the late 90s for four years. And we were opening store number like 225 up to about 300 in that, in that time. We got to almost 500 locations, but I became a franchisee of the 300th store in the chain. And then I had two others after that. It sounds like I had babies. <laughs> I had two more <laughs> after that. So altogether I had the three, but yeah, so you're right. Like different stage we were at, but still the concept of when do you start marketing? When do you start hiring people? When like, I mean, you're not even clearly, obviously we're not there, but like all these little things that need to happen. 
Jackie and Leanne, we had sent this over to you. I have this pulled up on our screen right now. This is the, the schedule weeks one through 26, everything from day one of exploring funding options all the way through our grand opening. So I'm sure this looks familiar to you. I think the first sections we'll be able to really blow through and then we kind of get into the stuff that we're dealing with right now. So for anyone listening at home, when we we engage with a candidate for a franchise location, there's a few things that need to happen. Obviously, there's an application process. Uh, we talked a little bit about uh, you know, the relationship building stage. We talked about that last episode. But there's a lot of pieces that really need to kind of get checked on before we fully engage. And so funding options is one. Real estate options are two. Zoning in various towns of choice would be another. The reason we want to do all of that stuff before even engaging is what does it make sense to go through that whole process if funding is not going to be achievable or if real estate is just so completely out of whack? I mean, it could take weeks, it could take months to find the right piece of property. So we've done all of that stuff previously. Jackie and Leanne, if you want to just taking a quick minute or two to uh, share with everybody your experience with the, on the funding aspect of things, that's something that uh, a lot of people probably have not gone through when it comes to commercial property or, or uh, opening a business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we had an, we had a couple of different options initially. One was to try and secure a business loan through a company that primarily dealt with franchisees, but this all happened right as COVID was hitting and they basically shut their wallets pretty quickly. <laughs> they were really only lending to established um, prospects at that time. And that kind of went all the way across the market. So we had to choose another way. Luckily, we have a, a house that has enough equity in it that we were able to go to my local bank and pursue. We did speak to them about getting a business loan, but that was not an option either due to COVID. So we pursued home equity line of credit instead, and that was approved. So that combined with some credit cards and Jackie's father, who's willing to lend us a fair amount of money as well if we need it, got us the funding that we needed in order to pursue opening a happy cat. So yeah, Angela, I was going to ask if you, because right, we talk about this all the time, not everybody, and especially the folks that we're looking for are, we want the passion players, the people who believe in this concept, and not everybody's going to be able to come to the table with loads of cash to just put into a business. And we talk about getting creative and right, looking outside the box and there's ways to do it. And I know you're just always preaching that. So yeah, I wonder if this is kind of yeah, inspiring. Yeah. Yeah, I love this because exactly like you, you just totally hit the nail on the head with that, that like often actually the, the people that come in with a lot of capital that are like really business oriented, business savvy are actually not a good fit because they, they aren't prepared to like roll up their sleeves, do the work, get in on the front line and like grow the business and be there. So I get really excited when I hear, you know, that if you had to get creative to, to find the financing, that means you really want this. One thing that's really interesting is within, I always talk about the, you guys have heard this, the DNA of the top performing franchisee and having capital isn't really DNA, but we just, DNA sounds cool. So, but having the capital is an important piece. I actually just pulled a bunch of franchisors at one of my roundtables, and these were like a very established franchisors that have dealt with all kinds of different franchise prospects. I said, I got to ask you guys, like if somebody had all, like checked all the boxes, 
but didn't have the capital. Like, I know everybody's like, undercapital franchisees is one of the biggest problems and all this. And I'm like, but what if they had all the traits, they check like they're, they're community oriented. They, you know, you, you two ladies have an incredible background for this. It feels like such a fit. What if everything checks and they are, they need to get creative with the financing? Is that a red flag? And everybody on that call that had experience in franchise development was no, I would figure it out. I would make it work. That's, we have had people that were like, and I'm not saying you guys are doing this, but like they've had people that were like scraping up all the dollars from their relatives that they could find, but because they had so much passion for it and, and they checked the box of, you know, being hardworking and you look at their history and you go, okay, in their past, do have they gone through a challenge and really figured it out? And if yes, all these signs are leading towards that this is a fit. So I, th- I think it's an interesting concept for whether it's franchisors or, or prospective franchisees listening to this to really check in on that. And that knowing that there are creative ways. So yeah, you know, Chris, we've had lots of conversations about how, like, can they find the money? <laughs> and it sounds like you guys have figured that out amidst COVID, which is really interesting. And from a brand standpoint, comparative. Now I know the numbers I'm about to drop are going to sound scary, but comparative to a lot of the other franchises in our, whether it's brick and mortar space or the pet space, where we are and how we've developed this is I mean, really as affordable as we can possibly get it for what we're, what we're talking about. I mean, the full investment or the estimated initial investment is starts at 148 and can go all the way up to $450,000. Now that's, that's a scary number. I fully agree, but there's a couple of variables that go into that. And at the, at the lower end, at the 148, that's for one of our smaller units, a boutique unit, 20 rooms, 25 rooms, something like that. Getting into that 450 range, that's for us a huge unit, 50 rooms, 60 rooms, something like that. And all of that money, the majority of that money is put into construction. And that is inclusive of the franchise fee. That's inclusive of all of the startup costs, the marketing costs, the technology, uh, the the equipment that you're going to have to buy. I mean, that's everything. That's the training. That's the operations manuals. That's the licensing of the trademark. It's all of that stuff. So when you look at everything that that is going into that price point. If you can find a way to shake some pockets and, and go to a bank and get a home equity loan and, and you do have you know somebody in a family who can maybe lend some money or invest some money or something like that, it's less than a house really and it's going to pay back tenfold what you know what a home is over the course of the time of the business. I mean that's that's the goal. So I, I just say that because a lot of the candidates that we've talked to they they get a little a little scared. They get cold feet when they start throwing around anything more than a hundred thousand dollars. But when you look at the the full investment and the commitment, it's 10 years and what that ROI could potentially be. It's worth doing the legwork to see if you can find a way to make it happen. Mm. So funding, then real estate, we wanted to do some pre-search for real estate. Just all this means to me is going out there and just getting a sense, driving up and down some of the streets, talking with a real estate broker, Uh, just putting feelers out to see what kinds of buildings are out there and are available and what's in in your market could be different from our market could be different from Angela's market. And so it's putting feelers out there. And I think when you, when you both kind of started doing that, it really helped sort of tie together everything that we had been talking about for a few months about types of properties and square footage costs relationship to those properties and so on and so forth. Could you share just a little bit about your, your first foray into commercial real estate? 
I think we were uh, we were kind of surprised at the initially the lack of options. Um, you know, we, we were looking for standalone space, and there's not a lot of them in this area. There, I mean, we've definitely found more since we've been looking, but in, initially it felt like all we could find was strip malls. But we came across an amazing real estate agent who really has been doing a lot of legwork for us and reaching out to different people to try to find different options for us to look at. And I think the fact that we've been out there too, literally just like you said, driving up and down roads, looking at what's actually available or what looks like it's becoming available so that we can take down addresses and phone numbers and send it to our real estate agent and then she starts following up for us. I would imagine that'd be really exciting and fun for you to, to see a place and try to envision, could this be a happy cat hotel? And like, feels like it's making it more real. I just, it's like when you have a baby and you see like an ultrasound, you're like, oh, there really is a baby in there. <laughs> you know, and then when it comes out, you're like, oh, there really, really is a baby. So, so it's like, you're seeing, it, like you guys have been looking forward to this for so long. What, what was that like? Just being able to sort of go, okay, that might work. Oh, we got excited several times. Yeah, I think we even got Chris down here on one. We were like, you have to come see it. And then <laughs> once you got here, we were like, well, maybe it's not all that we thought it was. Um, but it was still a really was, good option. It was still a really good option. Um, for one reason or another, things just didn't pan out. And we've seen a couple of places that we, I mean, I've gone as far as to download a, an architecture program and, and actually do a layout of how it would fit in a space. And then that option fell through, but I'm still, you know, real excited to find another place that I can work with. But yeah, it's, I mean, that feeling when you walk into a building and you're like, oh, I can really, like, I can feel it I here. can see yeah. how this could really work yeah. here. Because there was definitely a, a lot of spaces that we walked into and we're like, oh, well, I guess this could work. But then when you walk, it's like when you find that wedding dress and you're like, that's the one. You walk mm -hmm. into that building and you're like, this is it. I mean, Chris, you'd know about the wedding dress, but um, <laughs> it's, you just, it's such a different feeling when you walk into that building and you're like, this, this is it. Owning mm -hmm. out the front. Mm -hmm. Angela, would you have any, any insight on the patience that goes into finding the right property? I mean, we, we have a timeline. We know that we need to really be trending toward finding a place so that we can get something under lease and start the, the next phase of this journey. But we do want it to be the right place. Do you have any thoughts on striking that balance? It's so interesting that you, you asked that because I, as a franchisee, went through this where we had this really great location for our first store. And I was 25 at the time. My husband just a bit older than that, but we were like gung ho to like open three stores, at least two stores, but maybe three within like a year, year and a half. And we had this other possible location and it just wasn't, we weren't, we weren't able to, well, we kept, or we kept seeing different locations and then this one, and we were kind of waiting on negotiations and things and, and ended up opening. It took a whole year till we could open that second store. We, we were ready and getting restless and wanting it sooner. And then from there, we opened another one six months later. So we found these locations. So I can definitely relate to the feeling of like having to take the time, but also there's no question that it's worth getting the right location. Like you just, I mean, yes, there's little compromises, right? Like you might have to make little sacrifices, but like, I would really give a lot of thought to that. I, I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that gets made for like on the franchisee side is that we, we get excited and we go for it. And we're like, I knew this was a B location and it was not going to pan out. So yeah, that's what I would add into that. 
Yeah, you just like, and, it, and it's tricky for in this situation. It's not like you have 300 stores have opened and you have like a really good sense of where it needs to go. But there are definitely things that you know are important. So, like, don't ignore the red flags. If they're there, they're there for a reason. Right. But at some point, yeah, there's like little compromises maybe, but the more research you do, the better, right? Like the more you look at, the more you realize what works and what doesn't. So Absolutely. So we have funding, we have real estate, and then there's zoning and our zoning and permits check. Now that's something that we need to do, especially in our, I mean, really in any, any brick and mortar concept, but especially with us, we're dealing with pets. And so that kind of puts a whole other wrinkle into getting approval from a town or a county. And so that's something that we can do while exploring properties and going to various towns. But what we have learned up here in Connecticut, what Jackie and Leanne have found down down there in Virginia, is it can be different from town to town. There's towns that have, I don't know what the proper term would be, but basically open zoning for, for animal-related concepts that tend to be more industrial. But then there are towns that do not even allow boarding of animals whatsoever, whether it's veterinarian or a boarding facility. And so one of the first properties that we looked at actually was in a town that does not allow boarding of any kind. And at first it seemed like it was going to be a hard stop. Okay, let's just pack up and go to another town and see if they'll let us do it there. But with some poking around and talking to the right people. We know the details and the elements of our concept. And we know that when there are zoning limitations or, or barriers, I should say, that it's it's more likely because they don't understand the nature of what we're doing. It's very new. It's very unique, very novel. And so just some conversations, some back and forth, and really just trying to find the right person to talk to in that zoning department and getting them to just hear us out with what it is that we're really trying to do can make a difference. And we made some headway. It doesn't mean that we'll we'll get the approval, but where we started with a hard note, nope, never going to happen, you know, we ended up with an application to apply for a variance. And so I would just put that out there to anybody who's got a unique concept and is struggling with zoning. You got to just keep working at it. It may or may not work, but continue those conversations. And they want businesses. They want businesses in town. I think it's give them something to work with so that they can help you. Yeah, so true not to just get discouraged by the first no you hear. As a franchisee, as a business owner, you have to have that grit. So it's like start practicing that early, right? And try to find, I like what you said, like finding the right person too, right? Like it's often no, 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 no. And then you find someone that says yes. You're like, where were you all along? But (laughs) Hey, all you listeners, on behalf of the Happy Cat Podcast team, we would like to thank you for listening to part one of The Catanadian. Be sure to look out for part two of this episode, which will be released next Tuesday as episode five. And don't forget to stay happy.